What's up, everybody? Matt DeMarinas here from White and Blue Review, uh, coming at you with another post-game podcast. Uh, this time after Creighton's another Creighton loss, unfortunately, 74-70. They fall to the Friars at home, second loss in a row, coming off the um, late-game collapse at Hinkle. Uh, joining me tonight, uh, we've got Johnny Atawa from the Omaha World Herald. Um, he was in the building tonight, right? Yeah? I was, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he... Uh, Got an in-person view of the events that unfolded tonight. Um, so I guess uh, in traditional fashion, John, to guess, tease it off. So just your um, top of mind impressions on why Providence was able to come out with a win tonight in Omaha. Well, I think it was all about the start of the game. Um, the way that Providence, they, they just look like, the Friars look like, um, really purposeful, really crisp with the way that they were attacking. Like they knew exactly what they wanted. like football team scripting out the first 15 plays and knowing these are going to work and this is how we're going to get it done. Um, and the Jays just kind of disrupt that rhythm that the Friars were in right from the start. Um, Coach McDermott mentioned afterward there were some breakdowns defensively that allowed some of that to happen. Um, there were a couple instances where, Fri- where the Friars just beat Creighton down the floor in transition attack before maybe Creighton got its defense set or, or the Jays didn't stop the ball when they needed to. Um, there was just sort of an energy about Providence in the first eight minutes that Creighton couldn't match and um, they ultimately decided the game. So um, yeah, the Jays missed some shots that they could have made early on that maybe, so it wouldn't have been 23 to six. It could have been 23 to 13 or something. Um, it may not have been as big of a hole had they knocked down some shots early, but I, I just thought that the, that the, the intangible energy aspect of whatever, like hustle, willpower, grit, tenacity, what, whatever adjective you want to use, like Providence had at the start and Creighton did not. And, um, and it, it, it led to a, a, obviously a big hole that the Jays weren't able to, um, crawl out of. And, and honestly, it's, it's a surprising because those are Creighton's five vets. You know, those are just starters, the guys who have, I mean, they rode to a championship last year. Um, they they know that teams are coming at them and they're going to bring their A game and they, they, they've got a target on their back, um, yet they weren't able to come up with a response um, against Providence. So um, they've got some things to work on some 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 questions to answer but i think it starts with how, how can you muster up um the appropriate level of focus and energy uh to start like you gotta sustain you gotta start the game with it and you gotta sustain it because teams are coming at them and, and they're not wins against this team badly Yeah, I think uh, purpose is a good word to use because um, I think I think purpose is a good way to describe it because um, Providence obviously was a hungry team coming in. Well, you kind of knew they were going to be right, I just, but I just don't think Creighton came out ready to deal with that. I don't know if that's a if that's something that happened and maybe they shouldn't have a good week of practice and preparation for it, or if once the 
ball got tipped off, they were just kind of ready to play the way they normally do at home and think that would be good enough, but they just weren't. You could tell there was a difference in the way both teams were operating from an energy standpoint. Like, and I, and I, and you, you mentioned that Creighton did get good looks maybe in that after that first five minutes into that eight minutes stretch right there, you know, into that eight minute mark. But by then it was like, okay, so you're just, you're playing a little bit harder offensively to create good looks for yourself. But the first five minutes already set the tone in terms of your energy and it was on both ends of the floor. Um, I think Creighton just dug itself a hole in terms of like how it came out, how it approached the, the, the mindset of the task. You know what I mean? I just don't, I think Providence was ready to come out and, and like set the terms from the jump and Creighton was like, you know, we'll kind of play ourselves into this thing, a possession or two, and then it snowballed and they're like, okay, well now we really have to dig out ourselves out of a hole here and, by that time, I mean, at that at that point, you have 32 minutes left, 30 minutes left, and you're digging out of a 15-point hole. You have to be really sharp to overcome that and win that type of a game. I mean, Providence just is too good of a team to let you own them for 30 minutes that badly. You know what I mean? So, like, that, I just think it was on on the way they started. Like, they, I totally agree with you. Like, Providence had um, just that killer instinct from the jump, and Creighton took too long to get into that rhythm where they were matching that intensity, that purpose, that, um, you know, just getting sharp. Like there were, there were moments they had, you know, but by, you know, but you cannot, at the end of the day, when you look at this and that, uh, you know, in, in the second half or late in the first half, I, you, you just still have to go back to that first eight minutes that they basically punted away to Providence because they did not match Providence's energy level. And it'd be different. It'd be a different story, I think, if Creighton was playing hard, getting good shots, and just not getting anything to fall. I think that'd be different. If they were like one for twelve or whatever they started, one for thirteen, like it'd be it'd be different if they were still playing hard, because then you could be like, all right, well, at least they've they're still there energy wise, and once they get shots to fall, they can just continue. They'll, they might get on a big one of their big trademark runs and be able to change the game a little bit, but there was they were missing shots and they weren't playing hard. So it's, that's, that's not on anything, anything Providence did. That's on them. And I feel like Creighton, I don't know, maybe it's just not quite adjusted to that. back. I feel that this program for really, since all these guys have been a part of it has always been underrated underappreciated and like they've always felt like they've had to prove themselves and prove people wrong. And now, I mean, there's an element of that still, obviously they can, you can always find motivation. There's always skeptics everywhere, but um, now they get te- teams shot. Now, now teams come in saying like, we want to knock you off it, instead of like, Oh, we don't think you're anything, you know, like, um, Previously, teams would look at Creighton's makeup and say, well, we've got better athletes. We can jump higher, move faster. Like, we're going to kill you. Uh, we're going we're gonna to push you around. We're going to uh, sort of do what we need to do to take you down. Whereas Creighton would respond to that and say, okay, that's what you think, nice, but we're, we're going to outwork you. We're going to uh, run by you. We're, we're going to hustle. We're going to get to all the 50-50 balls. We're, we're going to play tough defense inside. Um, 
the blueprint that they used to get to the Big East Championship or to win a, win a title last year. Um, so much of it was built in grit and tenacity. And I just think teams now know that. <laughs> like, well, we can't get outworked by this team because that's the path to victory for them. So um, they know that they have to bring it. And I, I, I just feel like um, so far in Big East play, nine games in, it, teams are just playing better against Creighton and they're better prepared for what or uh, for how to counter or react to what Creighton does well um, in, in those, like in terms of the intangible part of the game. Yeah. I think it does look like they're losing their edge a little bit, right? Like they're, when you're the hunted, it feels different than when you're chasing something, you know, when you're, when you have a goal that you're trying to attain, it feels like Creighton's playing to lose their status almost. You know what I mean? Like they're the, they're the preseason top 10 ish, whatever team um, they're preseason number two in the, in the big East uh, preseason poll. Like Marcus is the preseason player of the year. Uh, Mitch is a all conference preseason guy. You know, Denzel's the reigning sixth man of the year. Like Creighton has a lot of what other teams want and other players want. They've, they've got the accolades, they've got, the attention um, and there is like an extra bit of juice that comes with like getting a shot at the big dog. And I think what Creighton is struggling to figure out is that when you're the big dog, it takes, um, it takes 40 minutes to fight off that hungry dog. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not going to stop until they, they have no reason to quit. Because you have everything to lose, essentially, is what the mindset becomes, right? When you're not the hunted anymore, it's like you're you're they're playing with house money, and you're the one with all the pressure. Um, like I think that's it showed tonight. I think I mean I it, I don't know if it showed tonight. It definitely showed on Saturday that Creighton seemed to be the team that didn't handle the pressure very well, um, and Butler was the team playing loose and playing free and playing with nothing to lose. And tonight it felt like Providence you know, the difference would be Providence came out to take something from Creighton. Like they felt like, you know, maybe Creighton stole one from them in a fluky kind of way with the dunk at the end of the game. They were like, look, we fought back in that game. We, sh- we should have put ourselves in a better position. We should have won that. Creighton stole it from us. Like it seemed like Providence came into this game tonight, the way they started the game and the way Creighton started the game, like Providence had a point to prove and Creighton was like, well, we'll see what happens kind of like it just – felt a little casual like Creighton didn't have yeah didn't have the edge that they you know that they played with last year and and you know it's tough to go compare it's tough to compare them to last year because they're not last year's team for a variety of reasons um but at the same time there's still enough pieces back that they should that the start of the game like this shouldn't last as long as it did they shouldn't have eight an eight minute rut you know what I mean they're more they're too experienced for that type of for that to fall in that type of hole like they should get themselves out of that quicker than they did. Yeah. And I agree with you about last year being careful about comparing this team to that team, but I do think one uh, or, or sort of a commonality between the two groups or, or something that you hope is a commonality is, is just that sort of tenacity piece or that grit um, that, that element of, like you said, kind of having it, having that edge because they have, they need that. Like they're undersized, you know, like they're going to be in, situations where they're mismatched and they're going to have to play really tough defense and be connected and get those loose, loose balls. Like that's the path to a championship for, for this Creighton team because yeah, it's going to have nights where 
it outscores teams, but you can't like it's it's got to win win ugly at times. And so, um, I think that is that's that those those traits are are ones that that, that have to carry over from from a year ago. Um, and so we'll see what they can do. I mean, like the beauty of college basketball is you get a like a, it's a long season, and you've got a, a you know another month and a half to figure this thing out um, and, and try to adjust to this new role, this new, um, you know, sort of, I guess, for lack of a better term, target on your back. And, uh, and maybe the Jays needed to get humbled a couple of times to really let it sink in of, of how teams view them and what they need to do to be able to respond to that. Um, and so, uh, like you said, Providence was was hungry, uh, wanted to get some revenge, and now Creighton's going to play a UConn team that's the same way. And after that, it's Seton Hall. Um, and those, in my opinion, Providence, UConn, Seton Hall, those are all top half of the Big East teams. So um, they're more than capable of taking the Jays down. So it's it's a pretty critical stretch, and um, I'm, I'm really interested to see how this team responds because it's got a lot of veterans and a lot of um, competitors on, on this group that like um, while they're just into a new role of kind of the status of being a favorite, like they still, uh, th- their expectations aren't lowered. They still want to win this, win a big East championship. So um, they're going to be really motivated to make the corrections and find a way to avoid um, you know, situations like Saturday um, and and obviously tonight against Providence. Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to find out here in pretty short order what this group is made of. Right. Because, I mean, we know what we know that Marcus, Mitch, DJ, um, Christian have all played a lot of meaningful basketball together, that four in particular, and Denzel. I mean, if you factor in last year and this year, you can easily throw him in that group because he's played a lot of high level, like do or die type of basketball where the margin for error was really small. And um, he was instrumental in them winning the title last year. So he knows what that, what that, what that, you know, war is like. Um, The thing with the other four is they know what the downside of it is. They've, they've been through that struggle of building themselves up to that team that, you know, could put a, together a, you know, a six or seven game winning streak in league play and put yourself at the top of the standings at the end of the year to, to, to play for a, you know, have a, have a winner take all type of situation. Um, and I think, you know, we're getting to the point where just because of the way the math is going to work out, I don't, I mean, it's hard to project, you know what I mean? Because you don't know, who's going to have how many games in league play and whatnot. So it's hard to really say if Creighton's taking themselves out of contention with three losses because Villanova's sitting there with undefeated with they're going to not, they're, they're going to have a hard time playing 20 games. You know what I'm saying? So percentages are in Villanova's favor right now that they don't have to, they don't have to, do, they don't have to do much more than they typically do to win the league basically. Um but just from just from what like we're looking at Creighton alone, it's going to be interesting to see what they're made of because this is their first what two game losing streak. Did they lose two straight last year. Villanova and Butler. They right? did Start lose two. Play. Yep, that was it. They did. Yep. So I mean, they only had one stretch where they lost two in a row last year, and uh, 
Yeah, I think like I think, but I think for an experienced team, that's really all it takes to to um, kind of have that wake up call moment. I mean, maybe you could argue then if you're trying to look into their minds, maybe they thought the Butler game was just something that they coughed up and Butler didn't necessarily take from them. So maybe you can kind of casually dismiss that and say, well, you know, we're better than that. Let's just not let that happen again if we're in that situation. Um, the problem was they dug the hole in the first eight minutes today as opposed to the last eight minutes against Butler. So um, it was they ended up in a different situation entirely for themselves. So, yeah, it's. I'm curious. I'm. I'm just curious that this UConn game is going to be really fascinating to watch because of how much it means for both teams. Like UConn's coming off of a game that they felt like they shouldn't have lost against St. John's at home, um, but they're also without book night, so they don't have much of a margin for error either. And I think they're they understand that going into this week of practice that they have. Um, and then you obviously have Creighton coming off of two straight losses. Uh, that they don't feel like they should have lost either game um, yet. They did, they did lose both of them. So I, I think it's going to be one of those, like, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting battle because both of these teams have like a, a you know, are going to have a chance to like kind of look themselves in the mirror a little bit before they hit the court on Saturday. And it's going to be, uh, like I said, fascinating to see who comes out with what in terms of energy, execution, focus, um, attention to detail, all those types of deals. Yeah, I I um I was thinking as you were talking, like trying to work through the math a little bit. It, maybe it's a little bit too early to do this because if you think about last year's race, Seton Hall, what were they eight zero to start the season in, in league like, play, and then ultimately and one, right? it yeah yeah they were, they were ten and one. They beat ultimately on tied. The yeah. So a lot can happen, especially down the stretch when the pressure mounts. But Creighton, it does appear that Creighton might be in a situation where they they might have to sweep Villanova uh, because it's just going to be hard for for the Wildcats to. I mean, they're, they're, they got a three loss advantage already. So, but we'll see. I mean, that's that's the it's a long season, and and the that the one piece about this year that's different is. Um, you know, just the lack of fans and, and the, uh, well, the, it's not the one thing, shoot, there's many things that are different, but I, I do think that a full house in, in, in CHI health center, I don't think Providence is up 23 to six. I think it's, it's easier for the Jays to muster up enough energy to, to reset themselves, get back in it. Um, there, there's just been other moments where you're, you're kind of baffled at results. And, uh, and so perhaps, um, some of those abnormal um, outcomes will affect Villanova at, at some point too. So, but we'll see. Like, yeah, I, how how Creighton responds. I mean, I, I know in this group, I think that they're gonna they're gonna be really um, uh, really motivated to respond well. I think they will. But I also, like you said, I think UConn's gonna respond too. So, <laughs> Saturday's gonna be a tough one. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Maybe I want to like maybe chase you down that rabbit hole a little bit because for the games you've been at in person, um, I don't know if you can identify moments like where in the past you'd see a stretch of basketball where you're like, all right, 
here's a time where I think I would hear the crowd kind of push the Jays a little bit through a, a through through a lackadaisical stretch, right? So, just in your small sample size of seeing home games now, in you know, without crowds entirely, with you know, fifteen hundred to two thousand fans, whatever it's been since, um, how much of a difference have you noticed in the play in those moments where Creighton needs a boost and they don't? have it to the degree they have like do you notice that have you, or i guess do you have a newfound understanding of what creighton's home court advantage actually does to impact the game because of the fact that they don't have it to that degree this year yeah well i think it amplifies the pressure on opposing teams when creighton gets going and gets hot um when the jays make their runs i think other the, the other teams tend to um, rush offense a little bit, maybe get back on their heels because they can feel the building. So they, like it's all weighing down on them. I feel like that, that has been different. Um, the runs haven't been as uh, dynamic perhaps. And then for, from Creighton's standpoint, I think it fuels those guys defensively and um, they can, you know, just find that extra bit of oomph that they need to rotate a little quicker or jump in that passing lane or get after that loose ball or, um, you know, just like they, they get inspired by it. And so that also, you know, get multiple stops uh, feeds into their offense. And so there have been, I mean, the way Xavier started the game, um, the run that Marquette had in the second half, that really long stretch where like it, they just couldn't miss and Creighton couldn't stop them. And obviously tonight, like those are stretches of play that you don't normally see um, in, in that building. And I, I think that the fans have an impact. Now it goes both ways though, because on the road, you could argue, well, maybe Creighton, some of the runs that Creighton went on, you know, the big run they had against Butler, they had a big first half run against Providence to flip the momentum of that game on the road. Um, the way they started at UConn, maybe like, you could argue it kind of goes both ways, but Creighton's advantage at home is so significant um, that it kind of stands out, especially after a game like tonight where it's like, hmm, I don't think you see that happening very often uh, with a full house, um, but that's the COVID year. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah you, I guess, like I said, you hope it works in your favor if you're Creighton when you go on the road um, and play at, uh, places where it's normally pretty tough to to win. Yeah, I didn't want to get too caught up on that point. I was just curious for your observation in that, um, just in the sample size you've been able to collect. Um, Nate Watson, major factor on tonight's game. And I don't know what you think, but like it just felt like Creighton had no chance to defend him tonight, you know, from a schematic standpoint because of how – deep he was getting his touches i mean they were trying to send help you could see it coming but where he was getting most of his catches like help's not going to stop that at that point you know he was just practically by the rim for most of them i mean what do you have four or five easy little catch and go right up dunks like where no one really i mean they're basically under the basket at that point like I don't know. That's it. Felt like that to me. If if it's not four or five, it felt it felt that way at least. 
Um, but it felt like from a positioning battle standpoint that Creighton lost that thing before they even had a chance to send help to uh, Bishop or Kalkbrenner or, you know, Denzel when they had to go small, um, that they just really didn't have a chance to stop him. And that's kind of why he got what he got. You know what I mean? Mm, that's interesting. You know, I wasn't, it's, I set up way up high, Matt. And so it's kind of hard to get a great gauge of where guys are out. You think like, oh, man, you're you gotta, really you got to get that home get... office view going, man. Got to do got to try it. <laughs> no, I did that. It's, it's kind of hard to get a great gauge of, of the distance. Um, you see the whole floor, but you're just so far removed that it, it can, I don't know that the depth perception is off a little bit. So I, I don't know. I didn't get a great read on that. Um, but I did think like, I thought passes into him were easy. Like, Mm. ball pressure yep wasn't perhaps as as um as good as it could have been um i i agree like coach mcdermott said after the game that he thought at times the help was late or maybe they helped uh i don't know if he was saying like too aggressively or or um didn't when they brought help it wasn't kind of structured in a way to where you're using both guys like the double team was a double team instead of somebody coming and, and uh, maybe swiping at the ball or, or just not being in position to, to move him back into uh, the, the, the man, the primary defender that was guarding him. I do remember a couple instances where like he still, the double came and he still scored. And, and uh, perhaps that was on the Jays to, you know, not funnel him where they wanted him to go. But I, I would agree with you that um, they lost the battle before he even got the ball many times. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, isn't that just a credit to him? Like he's a oh, monster. Sure. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know, like you said, what, what schematic answer do they have for that? Um, aside from like leaving AJ Reeves wide open. I don't know. I mean, that's okay too. I think I like that. Is it? Well, I mean, I just – I'm not that carried away. I like – he's supposed to be their X factor or whatever. They – you know, every game you watch a Providence, they talk about him as the X factor, and then he just, like – he struggles every time. I mean, he just – he – you know, yeah. remember, your, remember your rule a couple of years ago about how, like, guys kind of are who they are by their junior year or whatever at this point? Like, I just yeah. think – I just think A.J. Reeves is who he is at this point. You know what I mean? So Well, well maybe – There's guys yeah, – there are guys you can play off on Providence, I think, like Nichols and – um Gant to a degree and I think Reeves is one of them too because he doesn't get himself into a good rhythm like you can leave him wide open and he can he can drill a couple and then he can also brick a couple like he's just one of those guys where it's just like you there's no rhyme or reason for why he makes or misses like he's just yeah he's well he was over four tonight from three uh but like Bree kind of made up for it because he, yeah. he made both the histories he and really Nichols good. knocked down his first one yeah Bree 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 was the X factor, man. The way mm-hmm. that he took advantage of Creighton, sort of, um, uh, I don't know, like they they were drawn to Watson. Obviously, um, the defense kind of sucked in on him, and then obviously their eyeballs were always on David Duke, and so certain lanes at times that he, that he aggressively took advantage of, and the shot he hit the pull-up three-pointer when he got a little bit of space at the like toward the end of the game. Um, like, I think it was a three-point game, and he made it six. Like, that was a huge shot. That was one of the biggest shots of the game um, was that one because, obviously, the momentum was teetering a little bit, and they, they didn't really have much going on that offensive possession. 
and he just pulled up and nailed a three. When he let it go, I was like, no way he's hitting that. And boom, he hit it. So he proved me wrong. He had a great day for them. Yeah, I'm really impressed with that guy. Uh, I, I, I dare to say I thought tonight he was better than I've seen Bynum be at any point this year. So I'm kind of curious what happens mm. if Bynum comes back because I didn't think I just I didn't think Bynum's been what they needed from him at some at, you know from the jump basically. Um, and I thought tonight, I mean, Bree was Bree was ins- instrumental in that win. I mean, like he. he he was getting them going when they probably had that stretch in the first half where Creighton was starting to get rolling. Like Breed was kept keeping them kind of like ahead, if you know what I'm saying. Like he was just making a few plays here or there where it just kept the lead stretched out just enough where Creighton just couldn't quite catch up to it and get and get past it. Um, and then obviously you mentioned the big shot against you know with Marcus basically hand in his face and everything. Um, tough shot, big time shot. So I'm kind. Of, I'm going to be curious to see what happens with that, with the with the playing time there. I, I imagine they're going to go straight to Bynum and just let you know Breed develop again because it's just the way you don't lose your veterans don't lose their jobs to injury basically at this level. So, um, but I'm really impressed with him. I think they've they've got an interesting piece for the future there if he if he continues to develop and mature his his point guard abilities. Um, Hey, that was one thing that was impressive with Providence tonight was just their ability to kind of like stave off Creighton. Yeah. Um, the Jays probably – it was probably five or six times that it was a one-possession game um, in the second half down the stretch with like five or six minutes left. And every time – like I don't think the Jays ever had the ball – maybe one time did they have the ball down by three or less. I think it was maybe the time that Damian Jefferson got stripped – on a drive and then that turned um, into a pick they had six. It, they had, I think there it. was there was one in the first half where they did and oh uh, I meant just in the second half. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So but that was and it's credit to problem that a lot of times I worked through Watson and got him some easy looks, but it was that breed shot that, that he hit. Um and then obviously David Duke's like ridiculous fall away bank shot with like twenty eight <laughs> seconds left that um you know normally that's that's a great defensive possession but um it turned out to be the game winner and uh so like that was that was huge by providence just its ability to um hold the jays off and always have an answer and like i said a lot of times i went to went to watson but breed and gant stepped up in a couple moments as well and obviously do get that shot yeah uh, before we jump into questions um Man, Damian Jefferson was good again tonight. I just like I can't help but just kind of give that dude love because man, he has been. I just he's been so good this year. I think like it's not. I mean, surprise is probably the wrong word because we saw, you know, he's capable of doing stuff like this. But I think the consistency maybe is the surprise, right? The fact that it's night in, night out, yeah. and he's. You can rely on him for, for for this type of production. I mean, tonight was a career high, but I mean, just for him to take over stretches of the game, I think that's maybe the Dude, fact had, that it's night to night. He had a stretch in the yeah, he had a stretch in the first half where he scored ten straight points for him, um, and then in the second half, I think he went on a seven zero run by himself to pull him within. He had that and one right at like seven minutes left or something that pulled him within four, and then at that point it was just like, okay, it's anybody's ball game. Um, 
some of the drives he has. Uh, he had one in transition where I think he maybe was it a euro that he busted out. Like there's some moves that he had that I oh, like, I didn't. Yeah, know. he was so good in the post today. I, yeah, I just I just didn't know he had him, and so um, I I was impressed for sure. Now now here's my question though, Matt. Like, um, what do you think about while while he was really effective, and then Christian but uh, Bishop got some buckets late. Um, in one-on-one settings, and Marcus Agarowski wore to the free throw line. Creighton was really one-on-one oriented tonight. Uh, didn't have a lot of assists, and that, that was a lot, obviously a lot due to the way Providence was defending. But how much of a concern is that, do you think, for the Jays, that uh, they just haven't been able to kind of work together collaboratively uh, to whip that ball around, to share it, to move it, and uh, create – easy looks for one another that they were ultimately they were forced to rely on sort of uh one-on-one playmaking. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a byproduct of just like all their, you know, they haven't had one of those pauses in season yet, but I think they've had some hiccups, right? Like, uh, you know, they've obviously the last two games without Marcus and he's missed a lot of practice. Um, same with Sharif. So it's, uh, I mean, I think Mac even talked about it, right? In one of the scrums we had, like it's hard. It was hard to get some us reps without our point guards essentially available in practice. So, I mean, they're 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 having a tough time building that uh, that that chemistry with each other that's sustainable from a game to game standpoint. Because we've seen it, we've seen it from in stretches. Like we, I mean, that St. John's game without Marcus was just unbelievable in terms of. Um, continuity, uh, unselfishness, um, generating quality shots, just every possession practically, uh, the Seton Hall game before it. I mean, that week of basketball was extremely impressive. So I don't know. Again, this is like the tough part for us because we don't know what happened in practice to get to that point. And we don't know what's happened in the prior workouts that or the other workouts that have led to some of this, uh, some of the inconsistency in, in terms of how their continuity is being affected. Um, so that's a tough question to answer. Like I, uh, you can clearly see that they're not always in sync, but when they are, that's what I mean. I, I, I said to people tonight, I'm like, people are kind of wondering what this team's all about. And I'm just like, it's just, they're not consistent right now. You've seen their floor. I mean, maybe we've seen their floor. They haven't really got their butts kicked yet. So maybe we haven't seen their floor yet. I mean, if, if, the, if what their, if their floor is basically losing close games, that's a pretty good floor to have first, first of all. Um, but we've seen their ceiling, right? I mean, up 42 against Seton Hall and scoring 97 against St. John's without your point guard, like uh, your starting point guard. I mean, that's a pretty high ceiling. It's hard to get a higher ceiling than that. Um, you're talking like Gonzaga Baylor territory if you have a higher ceiling than that. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't know, that's difficult, but I definitely, you definitely, you're definitely on to something that the continuity isn't there from a, in a consistent manner. It's, it's been there in flashes. Um, but at times they've been really one-on-one reliant, like, you, you know, at Butler, they really struggled. And then when they're coming off the week layoff, no Marcus, no Sharif in practice, basically. Um, and what was their saving grace in that one? was one guy, Denzel, making a bunch of plays where they were catching shoots, they were off the dribble. It was just one dude kind of going off on a, heat, on a heater 
And then when he cooled off, Creighton cooled off, right? So tonight was kind of the same thing. You know, Marcus was on for stretches tonight. DJ was on for stretches tonight. But when they weren't, then Creighton wasn't getting anything going. So because Denzel was off, Mitch was off. Um, you know, Christian made a couple plays. But it, it hasn't been like – it wasn't sinking against Butler at all. It wasn't sinking at all tonight against Providence. So you're definitely right. That continuity hasn't been there at a consistent level. So I don't know how they get that other than to just, you know, practice at it. Like they got to get the reps with that first team unit. They got to keep everybody on the floor, keep them healthy. The problem is that, you know, tomorrow is going to be their kind of rest and recovery day. So they're not going to be on the floor a whole lot with the main rotation guys, um, you know, maybe for half an hour to an hour at most. And then Friday they're going to jump straight into UConn prep so it's all going to be scout heavy stuff so they won't really have a lot of time to you know kind of focus on all those kind of intricate elements of what they do um in terms of their offense and pace and rhythm um and then obviously they have the early morning tip on saturday so it's gonna be tough it's at this point they kind of need a stretch of practices to get it back at this point because it's just it's not going to click unless it clicks in a game and if it doesn't happen in practice, it's not going to click in a game. So, <laughs> well, one of the remedies would be just to make shots, and <laughs> well, they've had cures all else, right? Yeah, right, right. And so, if, they, if 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 they can somehow snap out of the shooting funk that they were, they've been in the last couple of games. Um, I mean, seventeen percent from three, Matt. That's the that's the third worst percentage that Creighton's had in a game in the last three seasons. So, like, that's abnormally bad. I mean, you thought six of 23 was bad at Butler. It's, that isn't good, but four of 23, obviously that's just, it doesn't happen very often for this team, this program. Mm-hmm. And so, um, funny when you go back and be, look like you want to compare this team to last year, like it's funny when you go back and look how many bad shooting games this team had last year, it wasn't very many at all. Like that's the one thing about last year's team, man. Yeah. They were so consistent. So consistent, right. And not yeah. only did they not have very many bad shooting nights, they didn't have, like, it was just, they. it was like the, the floor was so high. Like, yep. their quote-unquote average shooting nights were like 40% or something, you know? Like, they right. had some great shooting nights and then some pretty good shooting nights. So, like, a lot of pretty good shooting nights. It was like night after night you could, um, you could assume that they were going to, um, you know, knock down a consistent amount of threes. So they they need that part of their game. I mean, like, to be an elite team, like, they can find ways to win ugly every now and then. And they have to if they want to be a, a championship team. But if they are if they want to be elite, like, this offense doesn't work. Um, at it, it, it doesn't operate at its highest level unless guys are knocking down threes. And they had some good looks tonight. Well, they, they missed 19 threes. Um, against Providence and against Butler, they missed 17 threes. And so that's 36 shots that I would guess if you went back and look at them, like the coaching staff would feel comfortable with 30 of them, maybe even more. And so that like make shot, miss shot game. I mean, you hear it all the time, but like they're going to have to make some shots. Yes. Um, and maybe that would solve a lot of the issues and the questions that, that we have they're just not built to win grinders. Like they can, it's impressive that they've shown the ability to do that. And it's good to be able to lean on that on, on the, in the event that you have the off night, but your off nights can't be this prevalent, right? You can't have this frequently. 
Um, let's jump into questions here now because uh, we've got a ton of them. And just because you haven't been on in a minute, I'm going to give you the warning in case you forgot, like in case you forgot moment basically, is uh, we still get a ton of what's wrong with Mitch questions. <laughs> so uh, just in case you're not like ready to answer those, they, they're coming in hot tonight. So. I saw a few of them. I've got a couple DMs as well. Um, do, should we just start with that right now and just go with it? And then that way we want to like answer Mitch questions, basically. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, because right. it's like every game we get we get asked about Mitch. It doesn't even matter who the guest is. It's like, what's wrong with Mitch? Why does he shoot more? Why is he more aggressive? Blah, 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 blah. And last week, well, last podcast at Butler, I kind of went on like a little rant. I was just like, here's my automated response to the Mitch question. Yada, 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 bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And I just basically outlined like what Mitch is as a basketball player. (laughs) So that way it answers all the questions that we get about Mitch. But yeah, we got a lot of them about Mitch tonight. So I I thought there were moments where um, he definitely wasn't as aggressive as he could, could have been and had moments where it had openings to score. So like I have some critiques about Mitch tonight, actually, that isn't just going to be you know, throwing back at like nothing's wrong with Mitch type of deal. I actually thought he did play a subpar game. So I'll let you lead That's, off. It, of it's the challenge. The challenge that he faces sometimes, I think, is because, you know, he can stand out 28 feet from the basket and have an impact because the defender has to pull out and, and guard him that far. But you just don't want him to get sort of comfortable with the, the decoy role. Like, like he, I think there are, like you said, there, there are moments when he can get the ball in his hands and take advantage of a recovering defender who's coming in on a closeout or maybe there's a driving lane to the hoop. I mean, you saw it on that, like, I know it was at the very end of the game, but it was that that play he had where he took it right into the lane and, um, and got a bucket and pulled Creighton within two with, like, a minute left. Like, like, I think he has those windows more often than he utilizes them. Um, and, and, and tonight was, was an example, but don't get it twisted. Like he, the impact that he has, sometimes it is subtle. Like the Butler game comes to mind. Cause I just watched that rewatched it today. And there's like a couple plays that really stuck out to me of like, Oh, those are Mitch. He doesn't get a credit for the, or I think one of them, he got a credit for the assist, the, the Sharif Mitchell three pointer that, that Sharif hit like with, in the first five minutes of the game at Butler, two defenders like like rushed to Mitch Ballack and 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 uh, and he just you know Sharif was wide open right next to him and he just um, passed the ball off to him and there was another play it was like Jet Canfield drove dish to Antoine Jones who uh, found Christian Bishop for a dunk it was like a touch pass it was like really good offense and you're like wow that's nice. It was all bitch because of Mitch. Like he did this little like fake screen um, pop and pop thing, and, you know, where he kind of sets the screen and slips out of it and pops. And two defenders went to him, which let left a wide open driving lane for Jet to get into the heart of the defense. And then boom, it leads to a bucket. So like those types of plays are how he can impact the game by not even uh, by not, not not having to shoot. That said, again, like I know that I know I got immediate texts and uh, tweets the the time tonight when he turned down an open look 
and gave it to uh, Marcus Zagrowski for like Marcus had, he, he created an open look for Marcus, but he had Mitch turned down an open look for himself from three. And uh, I know fans were discouraged by that. Part of it is just who he is and he's not going to change, but there are moments in the game, I think where he can be a little bit more aggressive as you, as you stated. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. I guess what I was thinking is like this, his best game. There's no question about that. No. Um, yeah, I totally agree with you on his impact. I, I've I've beaten that horse to just a, I didn't think you could beat a horse this badly. Um, it's just like he okay, so he is who he is in terms of his impact. That there's a lot of nuance to it and in terms of how he affects the game without shooting, without touching the ball, um, just with his gravity, okay? The thing that with with Mitch tonight is, and and maybe this can go into more uh, of, like, the games where they've lost. Like, because you know know what the thing about him is? His best game of the year is also a loss. So, like, he knows that, you know what I mean? In his mind, he's like, look – I was hunting shots. I was super aggressive. I was letting everything that touched my hands go to the rim. And we, we got outscored. Like we got, we, we lost that game, but I think what maybe he should separate from that is the fact that Creighton was incredibly good offensively that night against a really tough, long physical athletic defensive team in Marquette. So had they been better on the other end of the floor, had they been better on the glass, they'd probably roll Marquette out of the gym because they were on pace to do that before um, before they made, you know, a couple, you know, bad possessions here, uh, some offensive rebounds, some second chance points um, that let Marquette get back into the game and then it snowballed. Um, but I think maybe he should separate that. Maybe he should look at that and say, look, here's the game where I was really aggressive, looking for my shot, looking for my spots, Um catching and shooting without hesitation. I filled it up and our points per possession, our efficiency, our, our shooting, everything was incredible that night. Like, so the offensive side of the ball, which is what Mitch, where Mitch provides most of his value was plenty good enough to win. So I don't know if he can go back and look at that film and see what he did to be more aggressive that night. Um, Because like there was a point in that game where he was just like sizing up Dawson Garcia and he splashed a three in his eye. Like that's not a typical Mitch possession. You know what I'm saying? Like he was just kind of just standing there and Dawson Garcia was out on him. He was about 27 feet away and it wasn't an in rhythm catch and shoot. Like he had the ball and he was just like, I'm just going to pop a three in this dude's eye. Like, and he did. So it's not, that wasn't a typical Mitch shot, but he did it anyway and he hit it. So I think that's like, I'm not asking him. I'm not, I'm not saying he should take those types of shots but unless he's feeling it, but there were moments tonight where like Providence is running him off the three point line so aggressively that he has a lot of space in that intermediate range to operate. Um, He did make a nice little dump off play to Christian for a little easy dunk in in one of those situations, but like don't always go in there to be a playmaker Go in there. Sometimes just be a little, be a scorer. Cause if you go in there, Mitch has enough touch. Like he's hit enough of those little mid range jumpers. He's he uses the glass really well on some of those jumpers. We've seen him practice those shots a lot over his career. So there were moments in tonight's game where he got into that 10 to 15 foot range and had plenty of space to get up a shot and go and, and score. And that's easy money for Creighton. 
because then that compromises Providence defense. They're like, look, we're running these guys off the line, but we gotta, we can't just let Mitch Ballot come in there at 15 feet and have basically a little layup. You know what I'm saying? So, and when Providence comes to take that away, when when their defense adjusts, Mitch has good enough vision and he's a good enough playmaker that he knows, okay, they're taking that away now. Something else is open. And when they, you know, one of those instances where they did take it away, a little dump off pass to Christian on that little dunker spot in the baseline was open for an easy two. So he's just right now he's, it's not passiveness. He's being aggressive, but he's not being aggressive to score. So that was tonight's issue was he had opportunities where he got to spots that he could easily have scored and he didn't try to score. So um, I don't know if, if a couple of those missed threes, um, shook his confidence a little bit and broke his rhythm and he just didn't feel like he should be super aggressive in hunting shots because he wasn't feeling it um, or what, but there were opportunities that he passed up to score tonight. And I think that going forward, you know, to get, they have to get him and Denzel going because one of those two has to be on for them to win. Like that, they, they both, if they're both off, Creighton's not winning a basketball game. Do we, is that too much to say? They won one of those this year, though, didn't they? I know, but it's like that's not sustainable for them. They're not well, built. They're not built that way. Uh, yeah. Because who are you asking? Who are you asking your points to? That's what's. Yeah, that's what's weird though. Is I feel like they've won a couple games where like Mitch and Marcus haven't been great, or maybe they've just had games where Mitch and Marcus have had trouble scoring or have haven't hit shots, and then it's then it's Mitch and Denzel. They need to figure out a way to get two of those three going, <laughs> at least. Yes, two of the three. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully that touched on the uh, the broad ranging that aren't Mitch questions. They're usually just like, what's wrong with him, basically. Um, I think one of them tonight was like, why doesn't Mitch do more? What does Mitch do on the floor, basically? Which we've ex- which I've explained like 1,000 times. So I hate that question. I just resent that. So whoever asked that, I'm mad at you. Like your point about him being – more aggressive to score uh, yeah. because I, I, I think that, yeah, you're right that there are times where he will penetrate or, or he'll make a move, but in his mind, he's always thinking like, this is to set someone else up mm-hmm. and uh, to be more aggressive for himself is that's a really good point. And uh, I think there are, there are moments when, when he can, uh, when he can do that. So we'll see if they can kind of tap into that a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Barstool Jays wants to know what stage of grief am I in? So now we know one person runs the Barstool Jays account at least. Um, what stage of grief are they in, in your opinion? How many stages of grief are there? I don't know. I haven't really studied that to that point. I know I was pretty I low. Think- th- I was pretty low this summer, so I would imagine. I think you're still in. I think you're still in denial, right? Because it's January. Uh, I mean, if if you get to if Creighton's still on a losing streak and you get to February, then we might be talking about uh, what, what are the other ones? Like, I know the last one's acceptance, so you probably don't get to acceptance until yeah. That, no one should be at, no one should be at acceptance right now. <laughs> if you're at acceptance, you need to reevaluate. <laughs> um. Uh, okay, that's a Mitch question. Um. Mike Vamosi wants to know, do you think Creighton will accidentally sneeze on their next opponent and get called for a tech? You know what's funny is like, (laughs) 
uh, I was pretty mean to the refs these last few. I mean, I just think Marcus is beginning shitting whistles and, and then they, I thought they would refs were generally horrible against Butler altogether. So I've been pretty mean to the refs pretty much all season. And I'm not usually like a refs guy. Um, I thought they were pretty good tonight. Like, I, I mean, I, you know what? Maybe good is like too subjective of a term to get everybody on board with. I agree. Everybody hates refs. So like, I thought they were pretty consistent tonight. And I think that's all they I called ever a asked. lot of fouls. I thought yeah, they called a ton, but I mean, they were calling them like on both sides of the floor, the same kind of fouls. Like that's all I ask for out of an officiating crew is established consistency from the jump. So the players understand the terms of engagement, like what they can get away with, what they can't get away with. If you have to foul out whole teams and that's on the, because you're calling this stuff, that's on the players for not adjusting at that point. So I have, I actually applaud the officiating crew tonight because I thought for the most part, they were consistent in what they were calling and how they were calling it. So that's, I'm, I'm, I'm not blaming refs tonight. I'm actually, I'll well, and there, there wasn't like a ridiculously egregious call that I can remember um, where you have to like watch the replay five times to just like believe <laughs> that they actually called it that way. Like You're like, what, what did you see? Like, I, I, I don't understand. Uh, we've seen a few of those this year, so you know what was I don't one. Remember any... You know what one was tonight that confused me. Okay, it's like this is, but this is a byproduct of like the broadcast crew not being like synced up with the refs on the floor. So like, there was a little inbounds play that Creighton was running. I think they were inbounding from the baseline, like on the opposite side of the floor of their bench. Okay, and I was watching like the 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 off ball screen action with Cogbenner, and I thought they whistled him for like a moving screen. And so did the broadcasters. And I was like, what the hell? He didn't do anything wrong. So I rewound it and watched it. And I was like, he didn't even touch anybody. I was like, what did I miss here? So then I rewound it again and I started watching different guys. And I was like, and then I watched Denzel like smack somebody in the face, like trying to get free. I was like, oh, that's the, there, <laughs> there it is. So again, I was like, I thought that was a bad call, but I rewound it twice. And I looked at different players because I thought it was the wrong guy. I looked at, I finally found the foul. That, they that saw was actually oh, okay. a big moment, Matt, because oh, I yeah. think that, that the play was designed to give Marcus Zagorowski an open three in the corner. And like he was going to be open. And and they whistled Denzel for a foul. That was a big moment. You know what other big moment where they called a foul was? When DJ got into the paint and jump stopped and they called that foul, like they, they called like Horcher for bothering him or Horcher for bothering him. He kicked it out for Marcus and Marcus splashed that corner three. But they called the foul, yeah. and then DJ missed the front end. <laughs> so that was like a four point, four point swing right there. Like they took away three away from right. the Blue Jays and gave them no points, even though they sent them to the free throw line because Creighton. Yeah, just I'm thinking that that year. was was that the yeah that might have been the like 148 left Creighton down four. Yep. Um, instead of uh, Providence getting the ball back up for it, it could have been a one point game. So yeah, that was a big moment too. Yeah, but just no, I thought, Creighton does not yeah. want to play in games where, uh, where the where they're found like the, the whistles that tight, like the the Jays like their starters. They don't want those guys getting in the foul trouble. They want the pace to be up and down. They don't want all this stop and start, um, and they do have to be kind of physical to match uh, the athleticism of other teams, and you know to defend a guy like Watson sometimes you do got to foul them a little bit and hope you get away with it because how are you going <laughs> to match that strength? And so the fact that the game um, was called so 
you would you think, well, maybe that takes away some of Providence physicality. Like, uh, do what they do because they know that um, there's not as as much of a uh, they're 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 not deterred um, by getting into foul trouble. They end up having like four or five guys with four fouls. They were cool with that. Um, the the reward was that Creighton couldn't get his pace going and get the game up and down, and, and Providence could kind of muck it up. And so uh, that that was to Providence's advantage tonight. Yep. But again, it was consistent. So I'm not. I'm just. I'm not faulting it. Like Creighton could have won that game had they played. Had they done the things that they normally control. Had they. Had they. You know their energy and all that type of stuff at the start and to start the second half. The officiating wouldn't have had an effect on this game at all. I mean, it might have slowed it down a little bit and and mucked it up, but it wouldn't have affected the result. I thought the I thought the officiating was pretty consistent. Um. Okay, uh, here's a little interesting question. Uh, so two former prominent Jays have directly called out the program. Uh, there's no way that's – there's no way that's – I think he meant to say there's no way that's not having an effect on the team, right? Or maybe he said there's no way that's having an effect on the team, right? So, um, yeah, that's interesting because we didn't – I didn't really – we haven't really talked about this, and I don't think anybody's really talked about this. But I know, like – I've I've talked to Maurice and I don't want to like I don't think I'm breaking anything here by saying this but like his beef what he's upset about is not the basketball program side of the thing like he's he's got issues with the university that he need that he wants to work out that he feels like he's not getting his fair shake and I don't want to say any more than that because he's got like a way that he kind of wants to tell that story himself and I don't know, maybe that's not me being a good like journalist, but like, I just don't feel like that's my, I don't want to overstep him telling his side of the story on his terms. So just because of the nature of what's going on, you know what I mean? But I don't think this is affecting the basketball team. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it's affecting the basketball team because I don't think it has anything to do with the basketball team, but that's just my read on it. And, and from talking to him, I don't know what you, what you think. If you saw any of that, did well, you yeah. Know, so this is obviously you saw Justin. Did you see Justin and Maurice? I don't even know. I'm trying to. I don't mean to blindside you. If you yeah, I was going to say this is in reference to Justin and Maurice tweets, kind of ref, like what they were they were uh, pointing out. There's some institutionalized racism on Creighton's campus, or at least they experienced that when they were on on campus as students. Um, yeah, my reading on it was that they were calling out this sort of bureaucratic nature of the institution and, and not necessarily the basketball program. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure they, the players heard it and felt it, but I don't know if that it's hard to know, man. Like you said, we're not at practice every day. We don't get the sort of off to the side, casual conversations with guys. Like a lot of our, most of our, I mean, the majority of our interactions with the team is, is, is on, on a, on a zoom press conference. So, um, fans see what we see in in in, in a lot in, in a lot of ways, so um, it's hard to know. But my guess is that 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 has uh, little effect. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's see. <laughs> there's two Mish questions back to back. Moving on. Oh, there's three Mish questions back to back, back to back to back. Um. What should what should Creighton's uh, closing lineup be? 
starters, starters plus Antoine when he's shooting is needed. Um, Dentel and Mitch didn't have it tonight. Do AOC and Jones need more minutes? You well, they first? didn't have it either. I know. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, <laughs> I was getting texts throughout I mean, the game too. I was like, they were like, man, they got to, I mean, they were like, bench Denzel, bench Antoine, all this stuff. I'm like, I was like, guys, someone's got to be out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> like Alex is struggling, Denzel is struggling, yeah, Antoine's so. struggling. Like, you got to find you, five guys need to be on the floor some at, at the same time. So you can't be benching the whole, you can't bench everybody. It was funny that everybody, yeah, everybody, everybody had everybody had a different person though. Some people had Mitch, some people had Den, some people had Antoine, some people had Alex. Like, all right, guys, like you're running out of people. <laughs> I think that's what happens when basically everyone is struggling aside yes. from Marcus Segarowski and Damian Jefferson and Christian Bishop's in foul trouble and so it was Ryan Kalkbrenner. So it's like uh well right. <laughs> kind of playing who they can play at that point. Yeah, maybe you they can do get, need well, more a lot of teams are getting players to enroll early. Maybe they, they can get some guys to enroll early and they can try that, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> no, they need more out of Antoine. They need yeah. more out of Alex. Like a combined one of eleven isn't gonna cut it, and that's gonna be tough for Creighton to win, especially on nights when, you know, they have off shooting nights from Denzel or or Mitch. Um, so what's their best closing lineup? Their best closing lineup is their starting lineup. Um, there's, in my opinion, there's no question to that. Those guys are the most connected defensively of, of the bunch. And they are so versatile offensively with the various ways they can attack teams. I think that's why it was so disappointing, uh, from, I, I would imagine internally within the program, um, why this game was so disappointing is because the starting five got worked to open the game and to open the second half, um, on defense. Uh, especially, but but even on offense, they weren't as sharp as they needed to be. Like, if you add up the first, well, obviously the first eight minutes, it was it was twenty three to six. But what was the first, what was the start of the second half? I mean, Providence stretched a five point lead to thirteen point lead yep. over the course of six or seven minutes. I don't have it in front of me here, but I think they scored um, on nine. They scored was on nine of their first eleven and, possessions and, to start the first half, and then seven of their first eight to start the second. So. That's that was pretty much the where the that was pretty much the ball game right there because that was absurd efficiency for Providence. Yeah, and and that right, and that so that that's your that's your that's your core group of bets, um, the guys who are supposed to be tone setters, and so they they got they got beat, they got handled, and so at least in those critical moments. Now they they did respond at the mm-hmm. end of both halves. It just wasn't enough because the hole that they had dug was too big. Um, so yeah, those are, that's, those are the, that's the five that, that Creighton, um, is going to rely on at the end of games, but it does have to find, um, ways to help those younger or, or, um, less experienced guys within the program. At least, I mean, Alex O'Connell's played a lot of games, but, um, not here for Creighton. Got to find those, help those guys figure out exactly what their roles are and how they can help this team. And, what what's a good shot and what's a what's not a good shot and, and how to impact the game even if you're not scoring that type of thing. Um they need they do need more from those guys, but it's it's tough because I like me Coach McDermott made a point a couple of days. Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday about how non conference would have really helped um the development of the bench because you have games where you can kind of ride those guys and there's a little bit less at stake. Um 
to where they can work out some of the work through some of their growing pains and games that aren't where the possess every possession doesn't feel like it's like <laughs> everything matters because we're trying to win a conference title type thing. Um, they, they, they miss that opportunity. And so they're having to kind of, you know, learn on the fly and it's, it's been tough. And obviously having Sharif be banged up takes away uh, another potential spark off the bench. Um, he's got that bum ankle and, and hasn't been himself. And that, that does hurt too. For sure. Because how many games, think about those games, how many games Sharif has uh, impacted when he's come off the bench. I mean, the Xavier game is the first one that comes to mind where he just like clearly changed the complexion of it by coming off the bench and, uh, and making an impact. I think there's been a couple where he's done that. Um, so like, that's important and, and they need it. Yeah, for sure. Totally agree. You nailed that question. I have nothing to add to that. <clears throat> um, Katie Hyder wants to know, are we as a fan base destined for our, tra- oh God, destined for our traditional March letdown? I love, I, I love getting that question in January. I, I don't know. Let me, let me see. I just want to like go, what's today? January 20th. Let's go back in time. Let's see. Let's see what we're talking about here. Because I love just zooming out when I get questions like that and just be like, okay. So last year, January 20th. Uh, so Creighton, like, how did you feel about Creighton on January 20th of last year, John? Do you remember? First of all, your son hadn't been born yet. That's how, like, long ago we talking. <laughs> So January fifth, here's, here, here's, here's what here's what here's what happened leading up to. Here's what January looked like for Creighton last year. January uh, January first, they blow out Marquette. Tyshawn has the breakout game. Um, January fourth, they lose to Butler. January seventh, they lose that lead at home against Villanova. Uh, January eleventh, they beat Xavier on the road. Then they uh, fumble the road trip away by losing to Georgetown. Um, and then January eighteenth, they come back. Marcus has the head issue where he's not quite right. Um, and Tyshawn gets banged up in that game. And it looks like they're kind of like being like left for dead. Providence is kind of about to finish them off. And then Tyshawn goes on an incredible stretch to end the game. Marcus is the game winner. And it kind of springboards the rest of their season, if you will. So last year on January 20th, I don't know if I felt like Creighton was a Big East title contender on January 20th last year. Did you? So not at all. No question. I was thinking like, are they, are they going to get into the tournament? I was like, are they going to get into the tournament? Like they feel like a bubble team right now. Uh, um, that was my sort of thought is like, they, they, they better find ways to win enough games to make sure that they're on the right side of the bubble. And I wasn't quite sure if they would, were going to be able to do that. That's where I felt at on January 20th last year. And so, uh, they're in a little bit better position, obviously, just a tad. <laughs> they're, they're, they're definitely in a better position this year. And so um, I guess you could feel a little bit more comfortable with that. But obviously, given the success of last year and, and all the hype going into the season, and, you know, the fact that when you think about it, Creighton really wasn't playing. Like, it wasn't operating on all cylinders during that six-game winning streak. Yeah, the Seton Hall game happened, and that was a really impressive showing. But some of those wins, like – the Jays, at least for like a 40 minute standpoint, 
from a 40 minutes standpoint of putting it all together, like they, they had stretches where it was, it looked a little bit clunky and yet they still won. And so you're just like, well, if they can just find a way, you know, like there were uh, some things and still winning, well, maybe it'll just start clicking and they'll, they'll like, you know, kind of rise up to another level. Um, so it didn't happen. And, and, and I think some, that's a little bit concerning for some fans, but there's still plenty of time for it to happen. And so, uh, We'll see if they can make it happen. Yeah, I just uh, – I don't know. I don't want to go here just yet because I do want – I mean, it's just like Creighton, Creighton's fan base is what it is because of their passion for the basketball program and, and its successes and stuff, but I don't know. And, I, and not everybody gets to watch them play in person this year, so there's an element to – there's a there's a large segment of that that are missing out on their game day experience that they get that you know that joy from if you will so I don't know I just think in the in the time frame we're living in right now the timeline we're living in like just forget about that stuff for now like just let it it'll take care of itself you know this this right now they're still an NCAA tournament team the wheels have not fallen off yet they've lost two in a row um but they were, you know, two close games. They're not like, they're not just getting their doors blown off and there's like systemic issues with the roster and like they've got more questions than answers type of situation going on. Like they're, they're all right. Like just try to appreciate the day to day. And when they come on on the floor next time on Saturday, just like, you know, bring your same energy and watch the game, but just try to find like ways to enjoy this season in a different way. Don't think about March. Don't think about the Big East title. Um, don't don't dread what might be to come in terms of if they don't achieve your expectations and stuff like that. Like we're we're in a timeline where where tomorrow isn't guaranteed, both from a perspective of real life because of what's going on out there with the virus, and just from a basketball standpoint because if if they get a bunch of positive tests, they're going on a pause and. You know, and and then you have to worry about what's going on with their health and stuff like that. So it, the reset button gets hit in a major way. So just if they come, if they hit the floor on Saturday, and everyone passes their tests and stays healthy, just appreciate the fact that you're getting to watch them play, um, and just try to like embrace that mindset a little bit, and don't necessarily worry about, um, you know, the March failures of the past and if they're brewing, um and starting to, you know, foreshadow that again. So I know that was a little bit, yeah. <laughs> maybe a little bit melodramatic, but I'm just saying, like, just try to appreciate the fact that they're playing um, and pray that they stay healthy and then just try to take care of yourself and, you know, enjoy what life gives you because this, this year it got the, you know, the things that we take for granted got taken away from a lot of people. So um, I didn't mean to go so deep on that, but I'm just like, don't, don't, don't stress about that stuff, you know, like that'll take care of itself. We're two months away from that type of stuff. Like, let's, let's figure that out down the road. Don't, don't, don't always drive yourself into a negative mindset if you don't have to. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to, you don't want to pull, well, I'll, I'll talk strictly basketball from a basketball standpoint. Like it is. <laughs> Sorry. Scary. I got way off on there. You're like, Matt, chill. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, so much can happen and, and teams can get, so much obviously there's so much time i mean like 
you don't want to draw any conclusions now because like Creighton fans, you know this. You watched this team last year as, as we just kind of went through it. What? How did you feel about the team in January versus what it was in March? Um, I feel like Greg McDermott over the last three years with, with his teams, they, they've gotten better, and they've played their best basketball at the end of February and into March. And so um, the track record seems to indicate that uh, that – he and his coaching staff know how to kind of work with these guys and they may hit a rough patch. It may hit a funk, but uh, by the end of the year, they'll, they'll have figured it out and they'll be at their peak or, or pointing to their potential. And so um, it's things because I know Creighton fans are like, you know, we want to get a high seed and, and want to win a big, big East championship and want to stay, you know, at the top of the rankings, um, you know, bring to bring some respect to the program and to kind of puff out your chest a little bit. So you lose to Butler and Providence to unranked teams. I mean, Butler has a losing record. Um, they're not going to get much credibility for that nationally. I mean, it's, it's a credibility drainer. Right. And so that stings. But as you said, like the bigger picture is that, that Creighton's still in, in a great position uh, to do what it wants to at the end of the year. So um, we'll see how they respond. I think that's kind of the big thing is like, you're always going to hit. It's funny because I, I can't even remember what podcast I was listening to. Some guys are joking about coaches having to like the season's so long that sometimes coaches just welcome adversity. Like they don't, you know, you don't go out of your way to create adversity, but if it happens, especially in January, you're almost like, okay, cool. And you know what? Actually I'm a Purdue alum. So I was listening to Matt Painter talk about uh bobby knight i think and he said bobby knight knew how to like he could read when his team was gonna lose and he just let them lose it was like or if he knew that they were playing poorly he was like i'm not gonna do anything to fix it you guys are just gonna sit in this stink and then i'm gonna i'm gonna beat your butts in practice and make sure that you know like that wasn't okay and like, I think coaches thrive in these moments where they can really get guys' attention and start digging into some of the things that they need to work on. And so uh, we'll learn a lot about, obviously, Creighton's coaching staff, its ability to kind of work with the team and help them improve, but also about the guys and their sort of resiliency and their metal um, and their ability to bounce back. So uh, this obviously not a good spot that the Jays don't want to be in the spot and Creighton fans don't like what they've seen, but um, you know, I guess talk to me in a week <laughs> or two weeks, and then we'll see sort of uh, uh, how they've responded and, and where they're at. Yeah, agreed. You know, another coach is who likes to like let his team take one on the chin so he can basically start from scratch and practice is John Calipari. Only this year it's backfiring a little bit. <laughs> Starting to yes. snowball on him. That a dude, bit. Get, he gets kicked out of games on purpose. Yes. Sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. He's getting a little out of hand with it this year. <laughs> he, is, he is. Like, <laughs> this is like this. This is just like where his strategy is just totally backfiring. Like, it might not work with this group of guys. You might need to figure out another method. Um, moving on, Jeremy Howard wants to know on a scale of one to 10, how do the players like the song uh, Yes in their intro video? Uh, I haven't really asked him about it. I made I I was making fun of Marcus a little bit because they had him doing the boxing thing and the, you know, throwing hands a little bit in his little 
his little part of it, but um, that's all I really, I haven't really asked them if they like it or not. It sounds pretty, I like it. It seems like a good, decent hype up intro video. What do you think? I was trying to remember what last year's was. I can't. Um, so I think that tells you that I like this one a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember Matt sitting courtside and I don't think it was last year. It might've been two years ago. And I was like, Matt, this song is not doing it for me. Like, this is not yeah. a good one. Right. And I wish I could remember what it was, but I just remember thinking that this is, this doesn't get me pumped up. I don't like it. I feel like this one, um, of all that I've been on the beat, but this is like year five for me, of all the ones I've used to start a game, like this is the one that like I find myself bobbing my head to a little bit. So gotcha. I think it's a good choice. Yeah. Um, I do remember you saying that. I think the fact that you can't remember it is probably, like you said, the reason that it wasn't very good because you would remember it if it were. Um, let's see. Birds by Design wants to know, do you think – players read the comments made by fans on Twitter. A lot of them are pretty demoralizing, even though most of the bad comments are made by angry betters. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't think Mitch is on social media a lot. I don't think Marcus and DJ are on social media a ton. Like at least in season, maybe is the better way to say it. I think you know what they're on. They're on like Instagram more than they're on Twitter. So I don't know how many negative comments there are to read on Instagram. I don't really read comment sections on Instagram. Um, so I don't know if they see them or not. Do you? Do you have any idea? I don't know if that has any effect. I think I'm, I'm sure they see see them to a certain extent. Now I don't know if they like scroll through and read every one of them. I feel like Antoine Jones is a guy who told me once that like he'd he'll seek out some every now and then just to kind of use his motivation. So I wouldn't be surprised if some guys do that. Um, but yeah, I think they're, they're pretty well trained to know that like after a loss, it, it, it's not a good place to be. Sure. And it's really not a good place to be after a win either, because you find that you get yourself to, you, you feel good about yourself, maybe too good about yourself um, with all the nice things people are saying about you. So I felt at least on Twitter, like you said, I think that I feel like Creighton's been less active, especially as this group of guys has gotten older. Like I feel like they've been less, less and less active, and uh, you know maybe they they're on Instagram, but then again they're young men. Like <laughs> social media is a way of life, so I can't imagine they shut it all down. But I feel like it seems like they 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 do their best to avoid that sort of thing and not get so too swallowed up by it, but I'm sure they see some of it. Uh, next question is first off, I'm not going to ask about Mitch. God bless you, sir. Um, is this loss as simple as they didn't shoot the ball? Well, 43% field goal, 17% three point shooting. Um, obviously I assume the refs will be mentioned. I said the refs were good. They were all right. I was fine. I'm not going to bitch about the refs tonight. Um, so is this loss as simple as um, Creighton not shooting well? I mean, yes and no. John's pointed out that they didn't shoot it well. So, I mean, that's clear. So that doesn't help things. At the same time, I don't know. You don't really think 70 points. 70 points, some, 70 points most of the time is enough to beat Providence usually. So 
uh, I think it's the first, the start of the game and the start of the second half. Like they just weren't very good at all on any side of the floor, like shooting defense, uh, keeping Providence from getting those little cheapy second chance. I mean, I think they dropped a rebound out of bounds like one time, like just flat out dropped it. Like, you know, that stuff is just, that stuff adds up when you lose by four. It, I, I feel like we've talked about this a lot with their losses because they're so close, you know, and they're, they're decided by the narrowest of margins. That possession where you get a stop and the rebound's right there for you and you kick it out of bounds or you fumble it away to the other team or, and then they score, that's an opportunity you're taking away from yourself and giving to them. So that's a point swing. It's not just two for them or three for them. It's four or six point swing because you didn't score to make them pay for not scoring essentially. You know what I'm saying? So when you lose by four, when you lose by five, when you lose by one, that stuff adds up. And I felt like Creighton just did a lot of things poorly in that first, you know, eight minutes of the first half and that first, whatever, three to four or five minutes of the second half that added up and they ended up eating a four point loss as their medicine. So that's kind of what it boiled down to, but yeah, they didn't shoot well. That's a fact. No. It did not shoot well. That did not help. It does seem, though, Matt, and like I don't want to, I don't want to say that this is a defining trait of the team this year or not. But it, it it feels like they have been prone to make some silly mistakes, and I it it's a little that, that's a little bit surprising because they have so many vets. But maybe it's a result of just a lack of reps, and you're still kind of playing catch up a little bit because you didn't play in the summer at all. And their practice was really disjointed in the preseason, but they've had some like kind of puzzling moments. And obviously tonight, because they didn't shoot it well and they got behind, they had to be incredibly efficient to work their way back. And as coach McDermott said, the stakes were magnified. And so we remember a lot of the, a lot of them, like he said, the draw ball out of bounds. I think there was a time when like Alex O'Connell, like, just didn't catch an inbounds pass that was thrown right to him, you know. Yeah, right. Remember that? Like, oh my lord, yeah. that was a. So yeah. those are, those are top of mind. But um, it does feel like they've had moments where it's just like, man, what what's going on? That that's a weird play that you don't really see, um, or you didn't see from you don't you don't normally see from a veteran team. Uh, and so we'll see if. Uh, they can kind of clean some of that up and become a little bit sharper as they get more in-game reps as the season progresses. Sure. Um, I think this is our last question of the night um, as the clock strikes midnight. Danny Sullivan wants to know if we have an update on Epperson's health. Unfortunately, today was a day we could have used Jacob with foul trouble and Watson giving us fits. Um, and then stuff on Mitch. Okay. So he doesn't want the Mitch lecture. Got it. Um so yeah, update on Jefferson's health. I don't. I, I, I honestly, I haven't listened back to the press conference to the point where he talks about Jacob. Because did you ask him about it or did some? I forgot. I think you might have. Um, I don't know. It sounds to me like they're getting close to maybe, unfortunately, kind of maybe maybe pulling the plug a little bit. Maybe it just didn't work out. I don't know. That was I was my 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 that was my initial read. And I don't know if you had a different one. Yeah, it, it sounded like they had a decision to make as to whether or not he was going to play for the rest of the year or not. Yeah. That's what it seemed like. Um, it said that the knee, not the knee that he had surgically repaired um, or the leg that he had surgery on, but it's the other one that's really bugging him. And so um, I think the question is appropriate because I, I think he could have helped him if he were healthy. 
sure. in, in this game because of the foul trouble and, and his size. I don't know. Jake's maybe not the best defender on the block, but he, he brings height, you know, yeah. so like, that would have been alter beneficial. shots. He can grab rebounds. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So, uh, that that yes. would be a hit if if he's not able to come back because while Ryan Kalkbrenner and Christian Bishop have played extremely well as a tandem, like you always want to have a contingency plan, and he was that for them this year. Um, so we'll find out more. It, I, it doesn't seem like anything's final, at least according to you know just reading trying to read between the lines of what Greg McDermott said. He's a little vague, but uh, it does seem like you know it's on the table of, of like, they may have to shut him down this year. Yeah, man, it's tough. Cause, um, you know, just talking to that, just talking to him in the off season, like he wants to play so bad. I mean, the will is there. The desire is there. The love for the game is there. It's just the body will not let him do it. It's really unfortunate because, I think he's a hard worker. I think he wants to play. I think he wants to play at this level. I think he wants to play at a high level while he's at this level, but it's just his body is just not letting him do it. It's uh, it's pretty sad, honestly. I feel for him because he hasn't really – I mean, he had – he had, I, I can remember the days where, uh, you know, he's in the same gym as, you know, Mitch and Marcus and uh, Martin and all those guys and everybody to a man from the coaches on down thought Jacob was the best – pro prospect on the roster and uh just to see where where his career has gone for him in terms of just the health aspect of it is really you know it's kind of sad because you feel for kids like that they you know they put in a lot of time and they care about the game and um you know it's a passion of theirs and they want to they want to do well at it and you know just the out the I mean he can't control that his body can't hold up under the 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 rigors of what the physical demands are for him to achieve those goals. So it's it's too bad. I feel for him. I hope that eventually yeah, he gets to I just hope he gets to have some moments that he'll, you know I don't I think it'd be completely unrealistic at this point to assume um that he's going to have a a career that people will like remember twenty or thirty years from now. Um but I hope that there's something that is able to happen for him in his career that he'll be able to remember 20 or 30 years from now, just because he's put in a lot of time and effort and like pain and tears and um, to get himself just to, to function. You know what I mean? So it's tough. I feel, I feel bad for the kid. I do. You got anything to add? Well, you know, one thing I wanted to add was just like the energy that he brings into the gym um, is really infectious. Like yeah. it, part of that is because I think his teammates know how hard he works, but he's just a upbeat dude. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of fun to be around. Funny as and hell. I think, yeah. So I think that um, when he performs well and impacts the game or practice, like the whole team, picks up on those vibes and, and it, it, it uplifts everyone. So uh, they're excited for him because I think of, of like you kind of you know, the things that you alluded to, the things he's been through and the work that he's put in to put himself to try to get out back. And so I, 
I, I imagine I'm like imagining, okay, if he were healthy, what kind of imp- like at a game like tonight, if he were healthy, a game like comes in and, and hits a shot or uh, makes a big defensive play like that. That's a, that, it's a potential momentum shifter um, because of how, how like loved he is on, on the, on the roster. So I thought you did a good job of, of laying out the reasons why it would be really cool to see him um, kind of have his moment in the sun because of all the work he's put in. And so I do hope he gets that at some point, but uh, you know, we'll see. He obviously he wasn't available and, and they got, I guess, a decision to make with him for the rest of the year. So we'll see what they do. Well, I think that's going to about do it for John and I tonight. Um, I know I'm tired. You're probably tired. How's the little guy doing? Hanging in there. Oh, we'll see. He's doing well. He's sleeping well right now. And uh, he'll be up in about six hours. Okay. So well, let's let's get you to bed then so we can deal with that <laughs> in the morning. Um, yeah, everybody listening, thanks for tuning in. Um, uh, we'll have this podcast up on iTunes uh, shortly, probably in the morning sometime, considering how late it is tonight. Um, so check out whiteandbluereview.com. I think we had a photographer in the building tonight, so um, maybe we actually have some photos. Uh, um. So check those out, uh, follow everything at whitebluereview.com. And then obviously John's work, uh, buy a newspaper, omaha.com. I think my subscription is still 975. Do you guys have anything going on right now for people that aren't subscribing that are thinking about it maybe? Actually, an exclusive tidbit for Jays fans, we're going to start a newsletter that's Ooh, okay. just 100% Creighton-oriented. Uh, the launch of that is coming soon, so be on the lookout. I feel like I've heard from a lot of Jays fans who want more coverage and they want more sort of like, um, like Jays only stuff, you know, like do like orient, uh, make an effort to reach out to us as a unit and not involve, you know, the other team in red or, or whatever other projects you guys got going on. Let's do something Creighton oriented. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish. It's, it's something that um, at least in the sports department, we haven't done. So newsletter, it'll be a video component too. So uh, we're excited about that coming out very soon. Awesome. So yeah, other than that, Omaha.com, you can find John's right up from these games and then uh, um, rewatch and stuff like that. Uh, do you have a podcast coming this week at all? Or are you recording one with the, what's your hoops podcast called? Did you change the title of it with any left? Half court press is the is the name. Okay. No, we've kind of been a little. It's been tough, man. We are we're we're short staffed right now, and so my bad. Uh, I didn't mean to our, put you on blast there. No, it's all good. I I just want to be honest. Like I like we haven't recorded as consistently as we have over the last couple of years, and it's partly because like our guys are getting stretched pretty thin. But mm. uh, we try to we try to do it once every couple weeks just to give an update on the local hoop squads and uh, um, provide some insight. So there should be one coming pretty soon. Cool. All right, everybody support the local journalism, support local coverage. Um, thank you for tuning into this podcast. Thank you for your questions, even the Mitch ones. Um, we love you guys. We appreciate your feedback. We will talk to you um, Saturday afternoon next time for Creighton versus UConn. Until then, have a good week, everyone.